What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. I am Phil, your host. Along with me is my co-host, Camille, the fastest and best researcher in the West. Uh, what's going on, Camille? How are you tonight? Oh, she froze. Did we lose her? She liked that. So there we go. You, yeah, She's you cut, cut out for a minute. Maybe I cut out. You cut out for a minute, but okay. how are you tonight? I good. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Are you ready to sit through about 24 minutes? Well, actually, this would be like our second time sitting through it because we had to watch it before we started the right. podcast. Um, so this is our second time. So for all of our listeners and viewers, this is how much we love you. We're willing to sit through Gavin Newsom's speech twice just for you so we can pick it apart and ridicule it. Um, any initial thoughts before we head into this video tonight? Where are you going to start? Are you going to start with uh, his wife? I wasn't planning on it. Um, I, this video I found was it, it cut her off. I know she did some really bad Spanish. I know there's a clip of her speaking Spanish really poorly. Um, no, I, but is there anything else about her that you wanted to bring up? Well, so she did the same thing in, in 2019. She did a short uh, reading where she did it in Spanish and English. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when she did this one this last week, Gavin got up and made the comment about Jennifer learning Spanish during lockdowns. And I'm like, so you just admitted that the 2019 was so fake. <laughs> he just admitted that she did not know Spanish in 2019. She did not she know said it. It's it's slightly better than Dr. Jill Biden saying "si se puede" or whatever. <laughs> that was possibly the worst. Or calling everybody all Mexicans and Latinos tacos or something. They're like as diverse as tacos or something. And it's like that was pretty bad. I mean, if you're gonna pander, just do it better. And they're just. Democrats are kind of, they're, they're slouching a little bit on the pandering. They're not getting as good. Um, it's like Hillary Clinton saying on, uh, what's the name of that podcast with Charlemagne the God, um, where she said, oh, I, what's one thing you carry around in your purse all the time? And she said, hot sauce. And then they were all like, hot sauce? Why do you carry around hot sauce? And she's like, something about like, is it working? Or are you guys believing me? Anyway. We're not here to talk about Hillary Clinton because she's not relevant right now. Um, the one thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into it is uh, there was a controversy because of how he did this whole like people's march. So he started off, he was marching his way up to the Capitol and it was mm -hmm. supposed to be this big symbolic thing of like, Sort of like when Barack Obama walked across the Selma Bridge and like that was a big like symbolic march of like I'm leading the people. And it was this big, obviously orchestrated uh, political stunt and everyone thought it was going to be this great idea. And then they kicked all the press out. Like the yes. press weren't allowed to approach them. They weren't allowed to be part of the march. They were basically pushed off to the side and like, no one could take pictures, like only certain approved people were able to take pictures. Um, and there were a lot of people who were very upset about this because for someone who in this speech preaches about freedom was not very freedom of the press uh, supportive because a lot of the press were not allowed to really be a part of this. So it was sort of controversial in the beginning. And there's several articles from sites that are usually very kind of sympathetic to Gavin Newsom and supportive of him, but they just kind of railed against him and were like, how can you say you're for freedom when you weren't for freedom of the press? So I don't know if you saw that as well as a controversy. I, did. I, I read a couple reports of reporters that were complaining that mm. the whole thing was too picture perfect. It was such a setup and that they mm. weren't allowed to then get in and get the candid shots that they wanted. And that he actually that whole march that was planned, he discreetly slipped off a few blocks of four, jumped into an SUV, and was driven over to the Capitol. Yeah, he didn't march all the way. He marched like a couple blocks and then like just ducked into an SUV and then got to the Capitol. So while everyone else was still marching, he was already like on his way to the Capitol. I don't know. Maybe that was for logistics. They were like, we have to get him to the Capitol. We can't wait for him. But 
Yeah, it just it seemed it, it's different when you're trying to have. I mean, it's different when you have civil rights leaders in the 60s marching across the Selma Bridge as a organic grassroots sort of thing, as opposed to the governor of a state orchestrating this with the, the right pictures and make sure you get the video and make sure, oh, make sure we're all lined up so you can see, you know, this union leader, leader right next to me. Make sure you see uh, this senator right next to me like that. There's a big difference between something that's organic and was grassroots that he was trying to emulate and what, what really happened. So that was the big controversy, I think right off the bat, but are you ready to jump in and start watching? Almost. Uh, on that note, it was supposed to be like some peaceful March, you know, to, because January 6, 2021, it was kind of like yep. his own rebuttal. But yep. then can we talk about first partner? Versus yes. first lady. The first, she's the first partner. She's not the first she's lady. First partner. And, you know, they changed that to call it first partner as opposed to first lady to be inclusive because possibly down the road someday we may have a gay couple in office. And so they would like to be inclusive of that. That's fine. But she, mm -hmm. they're not a gay couple. So why can't she be the first lady still? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Is she, I mean, she could just be proud of being a lady and being a woman. Uh, yeah. She wants to tell us I mean, something women, different. Right? <laughs> so again, we talked about this. Was it last week or two weeks? I, one of the podcasts recently where we were saying how it's, they, they try and pander to this whole like gender fluidity ideal. And then they come out with the pink tax and they're like, Oh, we're going to protect women and girls. And it's like, well, women and girls is the subjective term. What are women yeah. and girls? So you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, we're going to fight for women's rights and all that stuff. Um, and then also gender fluidity, gender is yeah. a social construct. So, all right. All right. I'm ready. I think now you're ready. I think that's all I have to say at the beginning um, was, and, and I'll give it to him. Last thing I'll say about this whole March, when I saw it happening and I saw what he was going to do, this is why you should never underestimate old noodles because he's very, very calculating politically. He's very smart politically. He learned from the best. He learned from his auntie Pelosi. Um, who's not really his aunt. I read into this. Thank like, you. They're like, Thank you. They're like, they're like distant, like something or other. They're not really even closely related. Um, but anyway, his like mentor, Nancy Pelosi's had some really good mentors, Willie Brown, people like that. Very calculating. And he knew that this would look great. And as soon as he was doing this March, I said, this is going to look great in a presidential ad in maybe two years. You know, wouldn't it look great? Gavin Newsom for America, and it's him walking up the, the road. And this is not a I don't hair know if, out of place. Not a hair out of place. His daughter wearing $500 heels. Um, so <laughs> it looks absolutely perfect. He, he's ready for the, the White House. Um, all right. On that note, let's dive in. Okay. Uh, let's see. Make sure the audio is ready to go did I do too many shares I think I did too many shares hold on we're getting there okay there we go all right let me know if you can hear the sound <laughs> It's very quiet in the beginning. Hi. You ready? Please raise your right okay, hand. Okay, and also and first off, um, I believe this is Chief Justice Guerrero. Um, I think that's who it is. She's the Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court, and she's swearing in Gavin Newsom, sort of like with the president. They have the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. The way she approaches him and is like, hey, it's just so like, boy, this isn't political at all. Who gets to be on the California Supreme Court? Because it's the governor selects them and then um, we basically vote on them. So I thought that was kind of 
unprofessional of her. But we're only 30 seconds in and we got a long way to go. After me. I state your name. I, Gavin. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. Against all enemies. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. To the Constitution of the United States. To the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. Yeah, we don't have to really say this. Constitution of the State of California. Um, that I. Oh, man, come on, ads. It's everything you wish for. Your site traffic is skyrocketing until. We get your this. views. Remarkable. <laughs> Look, uh, what a glorious and gracious day. I want to thank all of you, particularly those of you that took the time to, to walk with us, to march with us. Uh, Dolores Huerta leaned over and said, Look, I've marched with a lot of people, but. Uh, Martin Luther King never walked as fast as you are right now. <laughs> I don't know if that was a, a brag or I don't is know what it was. Is it possibly because exactly. this was all orchestrated and Hell choreographed and you had somewhere to be? Huerta, as you're walking across a bridge. And uh, I'm honored again, all of you taking the time to be here. And I think the emphasis really is on time. I've been thinking a lot about time. Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's being a apparent but time has been on my mind yes it is been four, four years since i well stood in the shadow of the capitol and delivered my first inaugural address then with my two-year-old in my arms dutch and his pacifier probably the only thing you remember about that inaugural i know my standing four years Four years. Disaster and plague, they, they bend the clock in very strange ways. It feels both like a flash and an eternity. Noodles also, in I think, went to the Obama School of, of Public Speaking. He does this a lot. Through pandemic, and it... wildfires and mass shootings and social unrest. I, I found myself looking backward as much as I was looking forward. And I recall in the, the 1970s when I was 10 maybe 11 years old, a child of divorce and dyslexia, trying to find my bearings. I was a kid traveling back and forth across the Golden Gate Bridge between the two very different lives of my mother and my father. I couldn't read, and I was looking for any way to ditch classes. I'd fake stomach aches and dizziness. I'd bite down on the thermometer, the nurse's office, trying to make the temperature rise past 100. Didn't work. (laughs) My mom busy juggling three jobs. She had no patience whatsoever for a truant. My father, the judge, guilty because he had left us, was an easier touch. I remember one time during the middle of school around lunchtime. Does he he seem more folksy in his delivery in this speech? More folksy? Yeah, he seems more like he's trying to be all folksy, like you know, I used to do this. I bite down on the thermometer and try and make it. It didn't work, but <laughs> I tried. I think he's trying to be relatable. Yeah, he's trying to open with a story that everyone's like, oh, he he could just, he's like us. He's dyslexic and. He's, yeah, and he, he's got a little bit of that victimhood. He's trying to say, I wasn't, you know, born with the silver spoon in my mouth. I had struggles. California yeah. school systems, nobody can read. I couldn't either. Look what I did. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, despite the California public school system, (laughs) I still became governor. So despite it, I I still became governor. Yeah. Yeah. Up in his Volkswagen bus. Beautiful car. (laughs) And took me to Chinatown in San Francisco. On the face of it, it was a mission for food. But what I didn't understand back then, it was also his mission to give me a slice of San Francisco, our place, and the story of California. We crossed one of the many demarcations in the city and suddenly we entered in a completely different realm through the gate of the intersection of Bush and Grant. And my eyes and, and my nose took it all in. Pagoda style storefronts, red lanterns hanging from above, giant statues of Buddha in the windows, roasted duck 
fresh baked cookies. My father wasn't content, though, just showing me the unfamiliar. He wanted me to see past the facade to the people themselves, the humble entrepreneurs, the immigrant parents building better lives for their kids, to the journey that had brought them to enrich our city and our state. This was the same California, by the way, that my great-great-grandparents from County Cork arrived from Ireland to start a new life. Cameraman's getting drunk. First years of California statehood. Cameraman William got Newsom. drunk all of a sudden. William Newsom the first it's all became over the place. a beat cop in San Francisco. And the Newsoms began to plant roots as working class Irish in a land where anything was possible. The journey from policeman to politician took about 150 years. My wife, Jennifer, the first partner, partner, is the second in her family to be born in the Golden State. My children, Montana, Hunter, Brooklyn, and Dutch, now fifth generation Californians. All of you here today, all of you, no two California origin stories are the same, but we share aspirations, we mm. share ambitions. And these ties bind us, sometimes unknowingly, to our state's past and to each other. I remember hot summer days, hot summer days, with my dad riding a raft down the stretches, the most wild stretches of the American River. Those cold waters. This is a lot of him in the, the beginning ones, doing this sort James of like Marshall hoaxy stories. That would sell the California for anyone who's watching and alter or the listening. This of is American history. Basically, I'm all about in the beginning. Though, there is another side to that story, not not the fairy tale. California statehood, after all, was also sealed with a brutal genocide. Correct. Against Here we go. And that now it's here's where that, it gets true. That complexity has always guided my own understanding of myself and in the state I love now, so deeply. To be fair, California was first. Settled by whom? Anybody? Any answers in the chat? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't white Americans who first settled California. Who was it? It was Mexico. Right. So is he saying that the genocide of Native peoples was done? Is he blaming Mexico and Mexicans for that? Because he's saying that's how California was conquered. Was through the genocide of indigenous peoples. And it only had to be those who first got here and did so, which would be Mexico. That's impossible. Only the white man could have done that. I mean, I, I assume that's his logic. And he's, I guess he makes it sound like uh, Mexico and the indigenous people were not, were just sitting around, hanging out, having a good time. Um, and if you know any history about Mexico, that's not, at all true about what they did in Mexico. Um, so interesting that he kind of slides that in there, like the genocide of indigenous people. Okay. Well, who were the first people to show up to California? It wasn't white settlers, not, you know, from the colonies It took how many decades for us to even get to California right. after the Louisiana purchase and all that. So, um, but of course he had to slide that first social justice jab in. The shameful past, shameful chapters of our history, they don't lessen my love for my home state. They make it more complicated, no doubt. Deeper, richer. But they also serve as a reminder that we can always become better. California, the California that beckoned my forebears 170 years ago, we had a population back then of less than 93,000 people. Today, nearly more, 40 or so million strong. Each and every one of us with our own California story. I hear the echoes of my own, own family story and those that are still coming to California to pursue their dreams, drawn by the myth and magic of this place. I hear the echoes and the stories of the migrants that cross our southern border seeking something better. And people who come from every continent on earth to flee political persecution or from other states to well, educate themselves in our world-class universities to start businesses that support their families. Okay, so first fact world. check of all. Um, he talks about how people come here for businesses and they flock here for our world-class education. Um, you know as anyone, <laughs> I mean, public education is different than like their university systems. Um, 
I don't know how many people are flocking to just go to all the UCs. Uh, businesses are definitely not flocking to California. There's been a record amount of businesses running out of California, especially during COVID. We all know this. We know that California has lost more people, and that's why we lost a congressional seat. So this idea that people are just banging down the doors to get into California, it's just categorically false. And he's trying to make it seem like so many people just want to be in California. Not really. There's a lot of people who are leaving California, and you've seen a record amount of people leaving California under your tenure. Yeah. And even as schools opened back up, they saw hundreds of thousands in attendance drop. Kids were pulled out of public education. So he saw, you know, for a state that used to have a lot of people who wanted to come here and travel here, uh, it's not so much anymore. Yes. Whether your family came here for work or safety, California offered freedom. No, 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 no. To access in California, I would argue looking a certain, certain you have certain. to look a certain way, you have to talk a certain way, and you have to think a certain way when it comes to California. Are you allowed to have conservative opinions? Are you allowed to have anything right of middle? to think that, to talk that way in California. I know a lot of people who listen to this probably don't think so. That's uh, one of the reasons why I started this whole podcast was so that people know there's other people out there who agree with this idea that you can talk about these things. Um, but this idea that, oh, you can come to California and be whoever you want, as long as you're not a Republican. That's it. Just don't be a Republican. <laughs> but you could be whoever you want. Just not a Republican, okay? Just don't be a Republican, right? Don't say that too loud. Don't say that too loud. If you say that, people are like, ew, a Republican in California? Gross. Um, yeah, I, uh, this that caught me. I was like, he paints this picture of everyone's welcome and we love everybody. It's not true. Many of people like him and political allies demonize people who disagree with them on basically everything. And that's what makes this place so special. It's in our genes. We're a state of dreamers and doers, no doubt, bound by our live and let live embrace of personal freedom. But like I said, Not a house or a laptop? Which one do you think is worth more? Well, definitely not the house because it not only made mistakes. Lord knows we've made our share. Let's not forget that Chinatown that I visited a boy as a remnant of the bigotry of the agitator at the time, Dennis Kearney, and the Chinese Exclusion Act of the late 1880s. Tens of thousands of Japanese, tens of thousands of Japanese Americans were interned right here By a Democratic in World President. War II. The post-World World War era, California suburb grew. You saw the racist practice of exclusionary zoning took hold denying black, Asian, American, and Latino residents the right to live on... Exclusionary zoning. Do you know what he's talking about? And build one. No, what's he... That plan in many ways, by the way... Single-family housing zoning, because single-family housing zoning is apparently exclusionary. To want to own a single-family home is, in fact, racist. Oh. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like racist highways. That Pete There's no, so they put the transcript up on the california.gov website and then it, on this it's a clickable link when it says exclusionary housing it's a it's a clickable link that goes to an article about how single family housing is rooted in racism hmm. of course it is because the, yeah like you said the desire to just want to live in a single family house racist that's the exclusionary zoning mm-hmm I wonder who came up with those laws. I wonder if it was, it'd be interesting to see who actually wrote those laws because he did gloss over the whole fact that all those Japanese Americans were interned under a democratic president, a democratic president who they all laud is like, you know, the Jesus Christ of their party FDR. So be inter interesting to see who wrote those laws.
feeds of the housing and homeless crisis that we face today. Even California, even our state, indulged in homophobic hate at the ballot box with the Briggs Initiative, the 1970s version of oh, Don't okay. Say Gay. How original. What? And of course, the 1990s brought a wave of anti-immigrant xenophobia nativism manifesting in Prop 187. Dark moments. Dark moments in California's journey. But in the end, in the end, we confronted our errors with humility and conviction, paving the way for rights and freedom to prevail. Every day, every day, California commits itself to the process of getting it right for the next generation. You know, my nearly three decades now, 30 years in politics, I've had the opportunity to see this process firsthand, learning as we go and etching these learnings on the consciousness of a country that perhaps hasn't caught up yet. When we started issuing same-sex marriage licenses in San Francisco in 2004, it felt like history. I mean, it was history, but didn't he preside over the first gay marriage? It felt like history was moving at the time at light speed. I'm not sure. In the right direction, decades and decades of advocacy, culminating with that beautiful, that indelible winter, winter of love. But that victory to expand rights, to expand freedom to marry, was snatched away by a backlash that resulted in Proposition 8. Eventually, after many setbacks and many steps forward, just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, President Biden signed legislation enshrining that freedom to marry. Okay. California, gay marriage has been legal since 2013? I think so, yeah. Uh, what's up? I think so, yeah. So, what's that to do with California? I mean, California, it's been it's been legal. So mm-hmm. he's, he's talking about now Joe Biden. But why didn't he? I, I would think he would say, like, we legalized it in 2013. Why are we talking now about what Joe Biden just did? Why, why are we not focusing on California here? I think he's trying to make the argument that California leads the way. That's sort of his thing that he's saying is we lead the way it's a, and it's, I thought this was interesting that he talks down about prop eight when prop eight was a vote of the people. And if your whole thing was, you had this March about democracy, uh, there's probably nothing more democratic than propositions, which are literally everybody in the state voting on whether or not a law is passed. Right. And that was the will of the people at that time. It lost because that was the will of the people. So it's funny how when it goes against his, uh, you know, his agenda, then all of a sudden he's like, oh, this is a blemish on our society and this is a blemish on our, and this was a mistake. Um, but also we love democracy. But you don't love democracy when it doesn't agree with you. Right. Right. And that's right. what's that, that's what's always funny is that they're they love democracy until Prop 8 comes along and people are like, uh, no, actually, we don't want that. And it's sort of like he's California has had a weird history with their propositions where they allow people to vote on these propositions. And then at the end of the day, they just go ahead and do whatever they want anyway, like the death <laughs> like- penalty. It's a perfect example. Like, he, you know, people in California voted and said, hey, yeah, we still want a death penalty. Gavin Newsom comes in and says, no, we're going to stop all the death penalty cases. And people in California go, wait a second. We voted. We want the death penalty. And he comes along as one man and goes, oh, no, 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 I'm going to change it. So you don't really truly believe in democracy, Gavin Newsom. You believe in democracy that agrees with you. As long as you have the mob on your side. But if the mob were to ever turn against you, then you don't like democracy. and It's a blemish on our history. So I found that yeah. interesting that he talked down about that. That on that note, he mentioned a moment ago about Prop 187 in 1994 mm-hmm. that um, I believe it temporarily halted immigration. Is what mm-hmm. happened. And the ACLU came in and argued that. Immigration is not a state issue, but rather a federal issue. 
and it ended up being um, overturned in 1999. Then mm-hmm. when Trump passed Title 42, the ACLA went in and sued that it was, you know, racist or whatever it was. <laughs> so. And now he was begging the federal government, like, please don't get rid of Title 42 or we're going to be like inundated with immigrants. Right. So he's welcoming of immigrants or migrants, but just not too many. Just like just he need, he is he wants the right amount of migrants, not too many, not too little. He just wants the right amount of migrants. Um, all right, let's keep going. And, and that's been the story, hasn't it? That's been the story of progress throughout our history. It's not always easier. It's not always linear. But in the end, the verdict is clear. Oh, geez, the commercials. <laughs> the heck is this game? <laughs> Crystal clear. Expanding rights is always the right thing to do. Okay. And yet, and yet, there's still forces, pretty clear, still forces America that want to take this nation backward. We saw that two years ago on this day when the unthinkable happened at a place most Americans assumed was invincible. An insurrectionist mob ransacking a sacred pillar of Mention our of democracy, violently clashing with sworn officers upholding the rule of law. By the way, just like the brave men and women whose heroism we inscribe here on our own now we love cops. memorial. Just remember two years ago, short two years ago, when there was BLM riots up and down California, we did not love cops. But we wanted now, to defend them. After January 6th, we love cops. Okay. Just keeping, to keep I just want I just I want you to be up on this so we're all clear. Democrats now love cops because of January 6th. All right. And I think it's safe to say, you know, since that terrible day, we've wrestled with what fundamentally what those events say about us as a country. The ugliness that overflowed on January 6, 2021. We know this was, in fact, decades in the making. Formented by people who have a very different vision of America's future. Very different. Red state politicians and the media empire behind them selling regression as progress, oppression as freedom. And as we all know too well, there's nothing original about their demagoguery. All across so the as nation. I said before, the flowery language, everybody comes to California you don't have to all look the same. You don't have to all talk the same. You all have to think the same. Just don't be a gosh darn Republican from a red state. Don't be a demagogue. Don't be any of those things. God forbid you're horrible. You're the scum of the earth. You're terrorists. But as long you know, we do accept everybody here. So he went from we love everybody in California to just don't be a Republican from red states. Because all Republicans who think this way are horrible people and they want to drag us down. So, so much for Kumbaya arm in arm marching up the street in Sacramento. Uh, that's over and with now. It's, we have to attack the red states. Right. But if you're, but if you're bored in California and you're a Republican. Oh, well, I mean, you can't be from a red state. You know, you got they'll probably think something that you were like dropped on your head as a kid or something. <laughs> if you ended up as a Republican you were born in California. So they don't understand how you could not be anything but a Democrat in California. Anxiety about social change has awakened long dormant authoritarian impulses calling to question, calling to question what America is to become freer and fairer, or reverting to a darker past. Instead of finding solutions, instead of finding solutions, these politicians, devoid of any new what was that ideas, little shimmy he just power did. at any cost, are playing on our fears, our prejudices, and our paranoias. The struggle, the struggle to be who we ought to be as a nation is difficult, yes, and demanding. And that's why we should be clear-eyed, crystal clear about their aims. 
They're promoting grievance and victimhood in an attempt to erase so much of the progress you and I have witnessed in our lifetimes. I'm sorry. Did he just say that Republicans and conservatives are claiming victimhood? Yes. Red states. Red states are are claiming victimhood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So not like the, the, you know, the far left of the Democratic Party who claim victimhood for quite literally everything. It's right. those those whiny Republicans who claim victimhood. Right. Okay. They make it harder. They make it harder to vote and easier to buy illegal guns. <laughs> illegal they silence guns. speech, fire teachers, kidnap migrants, subjugate women, attack the Special Olympics, and even demonize Mickey Mouse. Demonize Mickey Mouse. All camouflage under the hijacking of the word freedom. We've hijacked it. What they really want, what they really want, you know this, is more control, intrusive government, command over your most intimate decisions, when to have a family, how to raise your kids. I'm sorry. How to love. So I'm not, I, I, I gotta say, I gotta call bullshit, right? Like, how in the world does Gavin Newsom one of the biggest figures in the Democratic Party get up with a straight face and say Republicans want to control all of the aspects of your life when you have Democrats in his own party who we just quite literally saw this week want to ban your gas stove because they think it's too harmful for your kids. They also want to Control your kids from K, kindergarten, all the way up till college. They want to have control of your kids all the way up. They want to teach your kids how they should grow up and what they should believe. Is this guy for absolute serious? Is this really his, his what his, he's going to say is that, oh, if it's the Republicans who want to control your lives, us Democrats, we just want to let you live any way you want. We don't want to get involved in when you can have kids, when you can't have kids, what your kids think or what you do or anything like that. We're for freedom. Those darn Republicans want to micromanage your lives. I mean, especially, you know, reproductive choices, but he's the one that wants to shut down crisis pregnancy centers with his report misinformation website. And you said kindergarten, they're trying to own them from like age two. They're trying to make pre-K, like pre-pre-pre-K universal for all starting at two years old. And they don't want to own them until college. They want to own you forever with taxes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They want to try and get universal preschool. So like pretty soon it will be government funded preschool from like the minute they can start walking. They'll be like, yeah, I was going to say as soon as they're potty trained, basically like they don't want them yeah. not potty trained, but as soon as they're potty trained, hand them over. Yeah. Give them to us. You know, the state owns your kids. You don't have a right to your kids. So, um, but it, it's typical gaslighting where they, they get to accuse their enemy of what they're actually doing. So it's a classic example of, we're actually the ones who are micromanaging your life and we're not for freedom here in California. Um, Let's keep going. They dictate the choices. They dictate the choices people are allowed to make, banning the flames of these exhaustive culture wars, banning abortion, banning books, banning free speech in the classroom and in the boardroom. They sell fear. They sell fear and panic when it comes to crime and immigration, but they sell calm and indifference when the threat is greenhouse gases destroying our planet or big oil raking in record windfall profits at your expense. Okay, so this one I I had to look up because he's been repeating this line about gas companies recording record profits. And I looked it up on PolitiFact, and it actually got like a half-truth that, yes, they are having... Uh, record profits, but you know why they're having record profits? I don't know why. It's because they're bouncing back from the decreased demand during the pandemic. So because of that bounce back, they are having record profits now. So that's something he conveniently likes to leave out that, 
yes, they are making record profits, but it's not because of anything that they've been doing or they're gouging. It's because of the bounce back from the pandemic, demand, increase in the price of oil and all that. So that's really what it came down to. It, it wasn't like the gas companies all of a sudden all got together and said, hey, let's gouge these people for as much money as possible. Even though we're selling it for different prices all over the country, let's let's specifically pick on California and make gas $5 a gallon there and we'll gouge all those dumb Californians. Meanwhile, in other states where it's like $3 or less, we're not going to go gouge those states. We're, we're going to leave them alone. We just want to go after California. That's the logic I can never understand. Thank you. Let's keep moving along here. But California, your state, our state, that offers a reason for hope. Someone said this years ago about our state, there's no soil better adapted. I love that. No soil better adapted to liberty and opportunity, the sense of possibility than here in our home state, California. Now the fourth largest economy in the world. Oh, he upgraded himself. I thought it was only the fifth largest. More venture capital, more startups than any other state in America, leading the world in the transition to a low-carbon, green growth future. An industrial economy. An industrial economy leading the way in biotherapeutics and genomics and aerospace and battery storage, high-speed internet connecting Central Valley to the Central Coast. We're rebuilding roads from Wairica to San Ysidro, providing clean water from Calusa to Coachella, but new Cal Poly and Humboldt convey more scientists, more researchers, more engineers, more Nobel laureates than any other state in the nation. We have debt-free college for hundreds of thousands of students and the largest volunteer corps in America. He was very passionate about that. I should have double-checked that, whether or not there was more startups in California than any other state. I'm Somehow I feel like that's not true. I am mindful, though. I don't know about like that either. Nation. But can we talk about debt-free college? Or two rivers know about that? A mix of light. But does Gavin Newsom know about debt-free college? No, what, the debt-free college. I not even. I don't even know about that. What What do you know? I, I don't know what he's talking. I mean, I guess there are some like state schools, and but it's not like there's not free college. In California, well, what I thought. I thought they tried to do the whole free community college, but I don't think that passed. They tried to do that the best they could. I thought it failed, and they're planning to try to push it again. Mm-hmm. But I don't oh, know. I think he's referring to community college and then university afterwards. Oh. Yeah, but that's not debt-free. That's like that's just portraying it as oh you can come here and you're not going to be in debt if you go to college in california well yeah if you go to community college and you pay for it out of pocket and then you get a scholarship and you go to university and you can reduce the cost like that's not debt free you still have there's a lot of people who still take on debt when they go to college in california especially um you know especially a lot of these ucs are very very expensive remember uh I think I talked about once on a a podcast where the promise of the UC system a long time ago was that the UCs would be free for all Californians. And now it's $65,000 a year. It went from free to, oh, we just have to charge like a hundred bucks a year to cover expenses and stuff like that to now it's $65,000. So, do with that what you will. That is incredible inflation on the price of free college in California. So that UC system has been completely broken. Now, I don't actually, I know this it might be controversial to some listeners or they may just unfollow me. I don't think there's anything wrong with providing free community college and free trade school. I think those are two things that as a state, I think we should absolutely do. You know, if people want to go to college get a, you know, a good degree in like economics or finance or 
literature or teaching or something like that with practical skills or go to like a trade school, I think those options should be available to people. But that's a whole different story and that's a whole different podcast. And shadows. So as we go forward, we must continue our quest for an honest accounting for where we've fallen short. Some of us are naive on affordability, on, on housing, on homelessness. Because in the pursuit of belonging and equal justice, California must be the enduring proof of concept. We must reconcile our shortcomings, bring everyone along in our prosperity. After all, after all, a healthy democracy must be inclusive. Government by the people and for the people requires people willing to fight and to protect, to advance. That's just like we did last year, isn't it? Just like we all did. We overwhelmingly enshrined reproductive rights into our state constitution. Those girls in the back are very excited you choice, about choice. the constitutional right for abortions. You know, in our finest hours, California has, has been, well, freedom's force multiplier, protecting liberty from a rising tide of oppression, taking root in state houses, weaknesses, masquerading as strength, small men in big offices. More than any people. Oh, a very strange day is coming oh, to America. What, a small man in a the big small office? small men in big offices. Yeah. More than any people in any place, California has bridged the historical expanse between freedom for some and freedom for all. No. Just, just no. There's freedom for all. Freedom for all, as long as it agrees with our agenda. That's, that's it. It's, it's not. It's not freedom for all. Um, you know, a truly free state in California would just be, hey, we're just all going to let you do what you want to do. You know, very libertarian, very small government. Let's just stay out of all of your business. Uh, no, that's that's not California. California is very much we're going to get in your business because we have an agenda. We have a climate change agenda. We have a social justice issue agenda. These are all agendas we have. You have to abide by them. You can be free within these confines and within this paradigm of what we want for you and what we agree with. You can be as free as you want in these paradigms. But if you step out of that paradigm, you're not going to be free. Oh, you want to be a gun owner? Sorry, can't be a gun owner. We can't allow that because we don't like that. That's not part of our agenda. Um, you want to be, you know, very religious. You want to be a Christian? No, we can't do that either. So can't allow that because Christians are nasty people and we don't like them. So again, this whole freedom for all is such BS. But the people who are there. They think it's freedom for all because it's stuff they believe in. And he keeps giving them more freedom to do those things while things they don't agree with or are icky conservative or Republican ideals. You're not free to do those things. We were not free and we were locked down for three of his four years of. That's true. And we're still in a state of emergency and we're not out of yeah. the state of emergency. Right. February 28th. February <laughs> 28th. Woo, we're going to throw a party. Um, so, yeah, we we were very not free to do a lot of things for a lot of his first term. So uh, it, it's crazy to think that at one point in California, you were not allowed to go to church because of edicts by Gavin Newsom and then his public health administration. So... The freedom for all is definitely, definitely not. At our best, we open our arms, not clench our fists. We turn our gaze upward, not inward. Freedom is our essence, our brand name, an abiding idea that right here, anyone from anywhere can accomplish anything. We've overcome, haven't we, California? We've overcome the destructive impulses of extremism and racism and nativism and shown the rest of America it's not only achievable, it's undeniable. But going forward, California will continue 
to lead out loud by advancing a far-reaching freedom agenda, a full-throated answer to the demagogues of division determined to regress and oppress. Freedom, by the way. <laughs> freedom, freedom for teachers. teachers. <laughs> freedom for teachers to teach. Free of litmus tests about their political party or the person they love. Freedom to access health care for all Californians, regardless of your immigration status. Freedom. Freedom from Big Pharma's grips, competing head-on by manufacturing. Freedom from Big Pharma's grips. <laughs> also, quick shout-out, don't forget to get your COVID-19 booster. What, what right, number Gavin? are we on? I, I don't know. I've I've lost count a long time ago what booster, but I'm sure he's gotten all the boosters, and I'm sure he tells everybody to go get the boosters. But obviously, but we need to be free from freedom from freedom. big pharma. Freedom from big pharma. Okay. Our own life-saving drugs, <laughs> and we shouldn't even have to say this. Freedom. Freedom to vote without intimidation with results decided by the people, not politicians. <laughs> that one, I don't even understand what he's alluding to. Who's intimidating who? That red they... states. Oh, red states. Yeah. Because in the, in the red states, they're still back in the 1800s where you used to have to get in line and drop off your ballot in the Democrat or the Republican box, and they would stand in line and intimidate those voters. That's what I think he's thinking of, but that's... I don't know who's intimidating who in red states to vote a certain way. And I mean, you could say you make the argument that people intimidate people in California for their ballots. When they go ballot harvest, they can say, Hey, I see you haven't voted yet. Can I help you vote? And I'll help you fill it out. So that could be intimidation, right? Maybe possibly. Let's see what other list of freedom stuff he he's so free. It also kind of, you know, I'll give him credit. He's doubling down on this whole freedom thing. It's like when he had that ad where he and he launched it in Florida and he was like, come to California, the land of freedom. And everybody just was like, are you serious? Aren't you still locked down? Like, you don't you still require masks everywhere? Like. You're going to tell people to come to California because it's the land of the free in Florida. You're going to tell people in Florida that it's the land of the free. Okay. The battle lines, they're drawn. And I'll say it once again, it is time for choosing. You know, let's not forget the policies that started. It's time for choosing state, what California, side of the battle lines you're on. Nothing more than romantic but possibilities. But we, all, you know, we love everybody in California. You're allowed to think and do the whatever you want. It is but the lines have been drawn. True. Just California make sure you're on the right side of those lines. Territory for the rest. That's what we do best. Giving shape to the future. Molding the character of the nation. Just like those rivers. Just like those rivers that molded and sculpted so many of California's deepest valleys. The places of my childhood memories, those rafting and camping trips with my dad. There are a lot of things in life we want but can't have. This is a long ad. Oh, it's a covered California ad. Conveniently. <laughs> While you're watching this Gavin Newsom speech. In love with California over and over and over again. My dad... My dad died shortly after I was elected governor in 2018. He never got to see his son assume office. Nor did my mother, Tessa, who died just before I became mayor of San Francisco. But their dreams, their spirit, their love of California is with me every day, just as they were last year. Last year, when I found myself with leaders of California's most populous tribe, the Yurok was floating down another great American river floating on rivers. in a traditional dugout canoe. We stopped for dinner. Stopped for dinner right on the river bank and prepared salmon smoked on redwood over a traditional fire pit. The bark 
fish-infused flavor into the fish, imparting a taste. Uh, did anyone tell him that starting a wildfire or starting answers. a fire I, in the middle I of just the a same few thing. weeks? Like, what? I returned to the Klamath. Uh, sounds very dangerous, group, Gavin. Klamath tribal leaders. This time, though, to celebrate the removal of four dams, America's largest dam removal project in U.S. history. Is this an issue? Setting the river um, free once more. Restoring natural salmon runs and in so doing, righting an historical wrong. Because this is what California does. And it's what I've dedicated my life to. Standing up for ideals. Striking out against injustice. After all, history reminds us. History reminds us that each of us will be judged and perhaps more importantly and powerfully, each of us will judge ourselves to the extent we contribute, as Bobby Kennedy said, to the life of our cities, our state, our nation, and the world we're trying to build. And that brings me back to time. Uh, time is undefeated. It's relentless. He's on my side. And so our fleeting moment, we must fight against our worst impulses and find our better angels. Because at the end of the day, our lives are just too short. Our wisdom is too limited to win fleeting victories at other people's expense. We must all triumph together. We must all oh that's over. <laughs> triumph together. As long as you're not a Republican, because you're icky. Okay. Wow. So uh, thoughts about uh noodle speech what do you think there was so much he didn't say that should have been said it should have been discussed i mean like california has major issues and he should have talked about like he needed to address things like we want to know do we not want to know uh you know how is he gonna what's his plans for the education system uh how about our lack of water storage here. We've got all this water, all these storms, and we don't have any way to store it. Let's talk about that so that when we're in a drought again for six years, it's not such a big deal. Um, how about our homeless crisis? How about uh, our rising crime rates? Any of yeah, those he, things? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And it was a lot of fluff and like no policy at all. There was yeah. nothing like him saying, Here's our issue in California. I'm going to do this. Here's mm -hmm. the next issue in California. I'm going to do this. Um, that's such a good point. I didn't even really notice it because it's so much fluff and, and literal BS um, about freedom and what's going on in the rest of the nation and how California is leading the way and look at all these great things we've done in the past. Cool. San Diego just hit a fifth record month of homelessness. Mm-hmm. What, what do you, what are we doing about this? Does anybody have a solution to this? Or are we doing anything like, yeah, what's education now in the 45th out of 50 States or something like things are not, there's a lot of issues to take care of. And he didn't touch upon any of them. Crimes out of control. Um, are we going to do more about water storage? Even though we, we've been lucky enough to, it's too late now with this storm, we can't really do anything now. Right. But for the next big storm do we have any plans are we going to create more water like what what are we doing here and uh, we have time for the next big storm like historically california kind of goes through this like six to seven year drought and then we get these major storms i remember mm -hmm. my mom saying that when i was a kid i grew up here and we would talk about like i remember i think i was 10 and we had this major storm everything was flooding and my mom was explaining to us this is this is how California goes. Like that was like the first memorable storm of my childhood, you know, that went on for weeks and weeks. And, and she was like, historically, California goes through these like six to seven year droughts. And then we get all this rain. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, just, I so distinctly remember her talking about that. And so it's like, okay, what's the plan now? So that when we go through this six to seven year drought again, and, and that we have these major storms for weeks in six to seven years. I mean, that's plenty of time to build the infrastructure. They should have something in place. I, it should have been in yeah. place years ago, but where's that plan? Yeah. 
he doesn't. I don't think he has one. Um, he has a budget for it either. It's it's almost like there should be a group that's thinking about creating some sort of water savings plan for five to seven years. But if only we had a group like that out there that was willing to do that. Um, if only. If only we had a group like that that was thinking about we should have enough water to cover us for five to seven years until the next big storm uh, because that's the cycle. Yeah, it's it was big on fluff. It was big on imagery. It was very, very little on substance. It was very little on action. Um, in terms of if this is his last big speech before he wants to run for president, it, it just does not bode well in the sense that he had no action items. He literally didn't say anything about what he's going to solve. And how is he going to go out on the campaign trail when he runs for president and say, look at all these wonderful things that I've done when he couldn't even lay out his vision for Californians when there were so many issues here on the ground. Because um, what has he done? Besides he hasn't done anything. Yeah. I'm, that was it. The biggest thing was probably signing abortion rights. Um, I mean, there really hasn't been anything else. Right. Uh, Care court, maybe we talked about that. Uh, maybe care court might be one of his crowning achievements. It may also be the biggest. Like I said last week or week before, I don't think that he's going to, while he's in office, see the fruits of that. You know, I think no, that's it'll, it'll take like a lot an eight longer. to ten year kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it could be a complete boondoggle. It could be a huge money waster. It could be a huge time waster. The other thing he brought up very briefly was that California wants to start producing its own drugs. Um, I, I have no idea how he thinks he's going to do that. I think he only set aside like $200 million or something to I didn't start. I think it's that much. Yeah, it's, it's like, like one million dollars. <laughs> it's it's like a paltry amount. It's it's very small, um, and, and some like pharmaceutical execs are like that won't even get you through like the research phase. Like you have well, to get through remember, the research phase. You had phase. me on for that when we talked about that, and then the next day I made a joke about how much water does it take for, to produce insulin, and then I went into it, to looked into it the next day, and it actually takes a ton of water to produce insulin. We don't have water storage. We can't. How could can we produce our own insulin? Well, first with only a million dollars and yeah. no water. It sounds good, but again, it's lacking on any specifics. And but people in the back are like, they're they're saying they're like cheering. They're like, "Yay, we yeah, got they abortion rights!" Political party to get invited. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um. Yeah, and it, I guess as long as he just keeps touting, I you know, I guess he knows that. California is probably the biggest perpetrator of trying to micromanage every aspect of your life. And so I guess he got, he sat down with his consultants and his advisors and they all said, here's an idea. Look, we, we know California loves to micromanage everything. What if we just don't acknowledge that? And what, what if, if talk about dyslexia? What if we just say we're the most free state? in the nation and people will go, maybe we are, and they'll just believe you. Maybe that will work, but it didn't work on us because you're saying you're going, we're, we're definitely not the most free state in the, in the nation. By Ask the egg large. farmers how they feel about that. Egg farmers are not happy right now. Um, ask anybody who's a second amendment supporter about that. Nope. Right. Didn't he say something about we're going to expand everything? Or I don't think that's the exact word he used, but he said something along the lines of, you know, more choice, more expansion. No. I was thinking, yeah, not for guns. Not not for things that we want to do, not for that stuff, but more choice of what we want to do with our money uh, as opposed to taxing it to death. Um, nope. That's not going to be an option. Um more things to do with your public city streets. Oh, wait, you can't do that because there's homelessness everywhere. Um, so more freedom. That was his basic message. More freedom. We got a ton of freedom. Um, not surprising. 
big on big on polish, which is Gavin Newsom in general. I think this is very symbolic of him as a politician. Very a lot of fluff. It's a lot of shine. It's a lot of choreograph movements and very scripted. It all sounds great, but at the end of the day, no solutions, no plan of action. Um, I mean, at least his predecessor, Jerry Brown, had some sort of plans in action when he would go into office. Um, he was also a lot more moderate than Gavin Newsom, even though Gavin pretends that he's a moderate. So not surprising. And I, I thank anyone who sat through this with us as well. Um, we tried to make it as enjoyable as possible so that you could actually sit through it and watch. It was, it was rough. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot of fluff, and you just sit there and you just kind of bang your head against the wall because they live in a whole alternate reality. Um, and remember, the battle lines have been drawn in America and in California, but we also love everybody. So make those two messages, Jeff. Any final thoughts about the speech before we sign off for the night? No, no, I'd like to not think about it anymore. Well, thank you for putting up with it for me. Um, whenever there's a Gavin Newsom speech or something like that, I always like to hop on and not going to lie. When you it. said it to me, you're like, this is next week's podcast. I just sighed. <laughs> I just looked at my phone. <laughs> Why? Like, I, actually, I actually have to sit here and listen to this. Oh uh, no, but it's good to hear what he has to say. Even though. No, no, of course it is. It's important. We have to, we have to listen to what they're saying. Um, and we can't live in our own bubble. We have to hear what they're saying and how they're talking and uh, know how to pick it apart. It's a good way to kind of sharpen your argument tools because you have sure. to hear what they're saying and kind of be able to rebut it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all right. Well, those are my thoughts. Those are my final thoughts. Thank you to everyone who kind of sat with us this whole time. Everyone in the chat. Um if you anybody in the chat had any final thoughts or anything like that, we're going to sign off in about 30 seconds anyway. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for following. And uh, we do this every Thursday night, 8 p.m. live on YouTube. And if you can't listen on or watch on YouTube, you can always go listen on Spotify. And as I always say, best thing you can do to support the show and the platform, just tell one person about it. Just say, hey, you should check out California Underground. They're doing some pretty good stuff over there, and it's pretty fun to watch. Um, so with that, I guess we'll say good night. <laughs>